Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. If someone asks you, what are the characteristics of God? What do you think about? We're in a series called Introducing God. Pastor Nicole is examining several attributes of God, not only so we can better understand who he is, but so that we're better equipped to tell others about him. Last week, we looked at the goodness of God. Today, Pastor Nicole will be talking about God and justice. How does God balance his love with the need for justice in this world? We're going to find out all about that today. So let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. Hey, we're in a series today called Introducing God, and I'm so excited to be talking about who God is. Um, Sometimes he's not always who we think he is. And last week, we covered the goodness of God. Today, we're going to talk about the justice of God, and then after that, the wisdom of God. And then finally, on Easter Sunday, the love of God. Um, This series is especially designed for you to invite your friends, your family, even your acquaintances. Um, This is an easy way to introduce God to others. And so I want to challenge you to invite one person a week during this series uh, to come to church with you. You might be thinking when I say that, Cool, everyone else is going to invite one person a week to come to church with me. No, I'm talking to you, okay? I want you to invite one person a week uh, to come to church with you. And guess what? They might not come, but you will be faithful to do your part, okay? And that's what God asks us to do, is to be faithful to do our part. So let's do that together. Let's introduce God to uh, people that we know and people that we love. You be faithful to invite, and God will do the rest. And so we made up some special invitation cards. You can get them um, out on the Next Step Center if you want to take them with you uh, and just invite some people that you meet throughout the week. So one last special element of this series is an incredible photo booth that we have um, in the lobby of a picture, a photo of the photo booth today. Uh, If that isn't the matrix, I don't know what is, but uh, this photo booth will be up this whole month. Uh, We'll have a photographer out there also. One attribute of God uh, that we actually, I won't preach about, but is so true about him is his faithfulness. And uh, many times his faithfulness is shown in our relationships. Like his faithfulness is shown in our friendships, in our small group, with our kids, with our spouse, with our coworkers, and with those you invite to church. And so would you get a picture of God's faithfulness in your life uh, just right outside on your way out today? All right, sound good? If you are excited, if you're up for the challenge of introducing God to the people you love, will you just show it right now by clapping and giving God some thanks? Let's tell him he's worthy to be introduced. All right. So one of the most recognized legal symbols visible in the architecture of the Supreme Court building is this female figure representing justice. Okay, everybody say justice. Now, she holds scales upon, uh, upon which she measures the strength of a case's support and opposition. She wields a sword to symbolize power and to remind us that justice can be swift and final. And during the 16th century, Lady Justice began to be depicted wearing a blindfold. Now, this blindfold represents impartiality. The idea that justice should be applied without regard to wealth or power, or any other status. And Lady Justice can be spotted not just in the US Supreme Court, but also all around the world, Switzerland, Brazil, Italy, London, and Japan, just to name a few. They have statues similar around their Supreme Courts. Now, Lady Justice is an allegorical personification of the moral force in the judicial system. And these concepts are good, they're wise, but we know 
that true justice is not found in a blindfolded Greek goddess. True justice is found in a real and loving God. Hebrews 12, 23 tells us, God is the judge of all men. And justice is not found in a sword, but it's found in the word of God. Justice is not found in scales, but through a cross that bore the sins of the world, an action that tipped the scales forever. And the justice of God comes because of a real and loving God that we serve. Are you thankful for that this morning? All right. So the justice of God often comes up uh, when we're asking ourselves questions. And, and really, it comes out of seemingly unfair circumstances a lot of the time. Have you ever asked yourself these questions or maybe had someone ask you these questions? Um, if God is fair, why am I suffering? Insert whatever your problem or, or difficulty is. If God is fair, why am I suffering? How can you believe God is just when he allows bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people? And how can I trust God when the world he controls is so obviously unfair? People in the scripture ask the same kinds of questions to God. Habakkuk 1.13 says, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And another minor prophet, Malachi 2.17 asks, where is the God of justice? And to answer these questions that have been asked for all time, we have to define what justice is and who gets to decide what is fair and what is right. Our human understanding of justice is following a set of predetermined external rules or laws. In fact, we call something fair or unfair based on a standard that we determine. Okay, so I was thinking about this, and I think this maybe is best illustrated when watching sports, okay, when watching sports. Um, how many of you are hockey fans? Is there any hockey fans in the room? Okay. Three or four of you, all right. So um, I went to an Otters game a week ago. Admittedly, um, I go for the snacks, okay? The hockey's okay. The pepperoni balls is where I'm at. But uh, I went there uh, with um, a few friends and my daughter and some of her friends. And um, there was a row of fans in front of us who were cheering for the opponent. So there was this row of fans that were for the other team. And then my, uh, me and my crew, we were cheering for the Otters. And every time, every time, the hockey officials made a call in the favor of the otters, we cheered, right? And we clapped and we agreed. We said, man, now that's a great call. What a fair call. Of course that London Knight should get time in the penalty box. In fact, kick him out of the game. That was terrible, you know? And, you, and I mean, we just thought that ref was the best ref on the planet. And then every time without fail, when that would happen, the row of fans in front of us, what would they do? They would moan and groan and boo and call that ref the worst ref on the planet. And I can't believe you didn't see that. And why in the world? And that is certainly the other team's fault. And they would rant about how unfair it was. In fact, it happened so often, it actually was kind of hilarious. Here we are. We're all watching the same game. Okay, it was the same game. But we consistently disagreed when it came to what was fair and what was unfair. Okay, here's the biblical principle. Are you ready? Our problem is that we find fault with God for not doing things the way we think he should do them. 
We find fault with God for not doing things the way we think he should do them. And then we determine when God is being fair and when he isn't. And we become the judge and the jury to God. And we're either cheering or booing at his calls. God, I liked that part of my life, but this this just seems really unfair. This just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like I've earned this part of my life. Boo, God, boo. Why do I get to have this situation and that other person doesn't? And we cheer when we think it's fair for us and we boo when we don't, but we're all watching the same game. Here's the thing. Justice is not a standard God follows. He is the standard. He is not accountable to justice. Justice is accountable to him. And everything God does is fair, even when we don't think it is. He's it. He's the one who defines fair. You don't even get to tell them that he's not fair because he is the standard and he is the one who does it. Moses put it this way in Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. I want you to imagine for a moment an infinite line that represents uh, all of time, okay? I'm going to draw it on this very finite whiteboard, but this is all of time. Makes sense now? Okay, we can all go home. All right, so imagine an infinite line that represents... um, All of past and all of, all of future, a line with no ends. And human history as we know it, okay, so the, the spot on this line, human history as we know it, would be represented, all of humanity, in one tiny, probably little segment right here. And somewhere within an infinite eternity, God chose to create the earth and humankind right there. That's what God chose to do. And the first two chapters of Genesis tell about the beginning of the world. And in those early days of creation, the righteous judge justly rules over a perfect environment. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobey a direct command from God and sin entered the world. And then sin entered into every human who came after. And in Revelation 20, we see the final judgment that humans will encounter because of the sin. So between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20, those are the bookends for a long story about a just and loving God working out redemption for a fallen world. And outside of these bookends, before Genesis 3, as far into the past as you can imagine, and after Revelation 20, as far into the future as you can imagine, there is perfection, holiness, justice, And so when the sinful history of humanity ends, and the Bible tells us that someday it will, a new and everlasting history will begin and go to a new heaven and a new earth. And so what we're looking at here is between these two bookends of Genesis uh, uh, 3 and Revelation 20, between these two bookends, inside these parentheses, listen, there is a lot of unresolved things. There is a lot of things that feel and seem unfair. That's true. But we have to remember, we are living in a brief segment of time. That God's in control of this whole infinite line. 
And we're living in this brief segment of time in which a holy, just, good, and compassionate and sovereign God is interacting with a broken and fallen and unfair world. Here's the truth. Life in these parentheses might not always be fair the way that we can see and know and understand it. But when life inside this segment and outside of this segment begins to look at, like from a 30,000 foot view, when we take into account together, God's justice will be perfect. God's justice will be perfect. You can clap for that. Yes, give God thanks. Because this is the truth the scripture tells us. In the big picture, he makes all things right. In the big picture, he wrong, he writes every wrong. And we can trust that the decisions about immediate or delayed judgment and justice, we can trust it because God is good and God is wise and God's justice spans all of time, not just this little bitty part that we see even a smaller part of. Scripture reveals that not only God's ongoing role as judge, but confidently declares that God will eventually pass final judgment on all people in all of history. Here's the thing about the justice of God. We often want it. Remember the analogy, we're watching the same game. We want justice. We want fairness. Uh, We we want uh, that that things are right with the world, and, and it's not fair that that person got away with that or such and such happened. But to be really honest with you, if we got the justice of God... If the justice of God was was imposed upon us, we would be in trouble because the Bible says the penalty for sin is death. Like that's God's justice. God's justice always does what is morally right and fair. And it's fair for God to say anyone who sins must be declared guilty and pay a penalty. God would be just in his ways to say, listen, you messed up, you sinned, you went against the holy God, and now you deserve death. That's actually just. In the Old Testament, certain animals would die to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. And by the deaths of those animals, they called them sacrifices, the people would be set free from being guilty for a little while until they did something bad again. And then they would have to go back and, and, and do another sacrifice. But this was a temporary plan. It was a foreshadow of what, of what God was about to do. And God had a better plan. Doesn't he always have a better plan? Isn't that good news? I believe that because God's always doing that in my life. I have a plan and God has a better one, (laughs) right? I have a plan and God has a better one. And he loved you and he loved me so much that he came to earth himself as a man named Jesus who lived a perfect life, died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And Jesus paid the penalty for sin that God's justice demands. Jesus paid our penalty for us so that never again would we, would we, we wouldn't have to die or any animals would ever have to die again. Jesus paid the penalty for that sin. I want to look at Romans 3 today for a few minutes to understand this deeper. It reads this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God presented his own son as a sacrifice. And that word atonement actually means a covering. Christ's life offered on the cross accomplished something for us that could not happen any other way. It covered our sin 
It covered our extreme offense against a holy God, and it was replaced by a sacrificial offering. And instead of requiring a retribution for sin, Jesus was our substitute. So why was the shedding of his blood important? Why do we talk about the shedding of his blood? Why do we, when we take communion, we drink of his blood? It's because that blood was literally the covering, it was the atonement for our sin. If that hadn't happened, then we wouldn't have had the atonement for our sin. And Jesus paid the penalty for every wrong thing that anyone has ever done or will do in the future. I think it's interesting. Paul anticipates a question uh, when he's writing this in Romans 3. He knows that people are going to ask him this question, and maybe you've wondered this yourself. What happens, what happened to those who lived and died before Christ came? Like, they didn't have the, the ultimate sacrifice then. So if they lived and they sinned and they died, what happened to them? Are, are they uh, just, you know, out of luck because they were born in the wrong century? What, what's happening with them? And he answers this. He answers here when he's talking about that word forbearance in the back half of those, those verses. Paul is describing the cross of Christ as the centerpiece of history. Okay, Paul is, Paul is describing the fact that God himself sees all of time. And that the cross of Christ is the centerpiece of all of history. And, and therefore, Christ's death atoned for those who trusted in God's plan and mercy before Jesus died. So all these people that lived before Jesus was, died on the cross, that, that that atonement was made for them too. And then all these people that we will never know, because we'll be long gone from here, that are coming this way if, if the Lord tarries, all of them will be uh, covered by the blood of Jesus. And so God's plan and mercy is that he died and provided atonement for those who lived all the way in history and for those that all, lived all the way ahead of us for centuries later. Thank you, Jesus. But again, this is not the justice of God because the justice of God would have, all, all of us would, would be facing death. But the grace and the love of God meets the justice of God. And ju the justice demands a payment, a penalty for our sin. And, and God says, okay, I'm gonna send Jesus. And he, God's justice is satisfied in the cross. God's justice is satisfied in the cross. And God can declare that anyone who trusts in Jesus is set free from the justice of God, is set free from having to pay the penalty for their sin. And everyone who trusts in Jesus is free from being held captive by his or her sins. What a great deal. We got a great deal because being set free is a great thing. And God's justice sets free everyone who trusts that his son, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for their sins. And God can do that because the penalty has been paid in full for all time. For all time. And when you trust in Jesus, you receive complete forgiveness for all time, for all your sin. Christ's justice justifies sinners. I really like how John Piper says it. He's a pastor and a theologian. He said it this way, God saw his glory being despised by sinners. He saw his worth belittled and his name dishonored by our sins. And rather than vindicating the worth of his glory by slaying his people, he vindicated his glory by slaying his son. There really is no tension between God's love and God's justice because Jesus is the fusion of divine love and divine justice. And actually, the offer of Jesus as our sin substitute shows a greater love on God's part than simply releasing us from the consequences of sin without payment being made. 
It actually shows a greater love because to fulfill his justice, God's love was so great that he gave a son for us. And love and justice are not two separate attributes of God. They're not competing with one another. They satisfy each other. God is perfectly loving and perfectly just. God isn't fair. He goes way beyond fair. He goes way beyond fair. He could have given us fairly what we deserve when we messed up and sinned against him, but he didn't. He spared us with his mercy, and then he gave us exactly what we don't deserve. And we call that grace. So here's how we're going to end our service today. The worship team is going to come back. And um, I asked Gabe Clazo if he would lead us in communion so you can grab your elements. If you were able to get some, they're in the back on the tables. You can just sneak back there and grab one or flag down a, a, a helper here. Communion is a very fitting way to remember the justice and the love of God. Thanks, Pastor Nicole. You can, again, take out your elements as we prepare for communion in just a second. And again, as she mentioned, it is in the back for you. A significant memorial for the Israelites was the Passover feast. And Passover was a meal celebrated to, of course, remember uh, their escape from Egypt under the direction of Moses. And during the meal, they would actually eat bitter herbs to remind them of their time in slavery. But in the same meal, they would also eat sweet honey to remind them of how good God is. Most families would even set up an additional place setting at the dinner table for the long-awaited Messiah, for the person who would announce the Messiah. This was a reminder that they were looking for the one that God said was coming. And it's from this place at the Last Supper that Christ, with his disciples before his death at communion, with, uh, that scholars believe Jesus actually went and took the cup and the bread from that place setting, showing that he was the Messiah to come. How cool is that? How awesome is that? The Lord's Supper is the most meaningful memorial ever established. You can see the wisdom of God written all over it. It's so simple and any culture can participate. It's vividly symbolic, the unleavened bread, no yeast, Christ's sinless body, and of course the juice due to its color represents Christ's blood. We are all under the sentence of death, not just physical death, of course, but spiritual death, eternal death. And in our hearts, we recognize that we are guilty, we are wrong, that our fate was sealed. But then the Father sent his Son who took upon himself our guilt and our punishment. And that's what Christianity comes down to. We take the Lord's Supper to remember that. Jesus took our place out of a prison of sin. And now we can be pure, we can be clean, we can be free, and we can celebrate where we are in Christ's love. I admire Christians who are transparent about their struggles and failures. It, it, may, it, may, it makes Christ seem so much more attainable, realizing that we do this together, we do life together, that we mess up, but yet we have a support system here as a community of believers. Why do we do communion often? Well, because we need reminded often. We need to reevaluate ourselves. We get distracted, we get overcommitted, we slip away, not realizing sometimes that God, Christ, is a daily commitment every day. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's eat of the bread together.
Then it goes on to say, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Let's drink of the juice together. Church, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a just God, but accompanied with that just is your mercy. God, we don't deserve the fairness that you show us. God, our fate was sealed. It was eternal death. But I thank you that you reached out to us, that in your mercy and your love, we realized that we need guidance. We need love. We need you as our savior. God, thank you for those chances that you give us. God, thank you for a community of believers to support each other. God, thank you for the elements of communion on a monthly basis that can remind us that you are God. We are just human. But yet, God, we thank you for everything you've done for us. God, would you teach us that, especially as Easter is on its way. God, how important you are and what your love looks like for each of us personally. Let us dwell on that. Let us take time to realize that every day. Father, it's in your precious name. Amen. Jesus, we just give it all back to you. Thank you for your sacrifice. We just worship you, Jesus.
relationship with you. And so, Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your justice. Lord God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your wisdom. Lord, I thank you that you are more than we could ever ask or imagine or describe. But God, we're going to keep trying because we want to know you better. And so it's in your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. When you do, it helps us spread the message of the gospel even more. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.